into our message time now. Uh, if, if you haven't heard yet, I'm Brad Kendall. I'm the lead pastor here. We will be doing Q&A this morning. Uh, if you look at the Q&A slide that I think might come up, maybe. There it is. That is a new Q&A number. All right? So uh, if you're new to Faith Covenant Church, we do uh, Q&A after the messages often. We're going to be doing that today. But that's a new number. So if you saved it somewhere in your phone, don't use the old one. Use that one. Or you can write out a question uh, using the Ask Pastor Brad card in your seat pocket in front of you. Um, this last Wednesday and this Wednesday, uh, we are participating in learning how to do what we call Discovery Bible Experience. Let me just back up a little bit. Last Sunday, we talked about Matthew 4.4. Matthew 4.4 says, no one can live on food alone. We all need every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. We need God's word. One of the things we talked about last week is that God's word (laughs) is as important to our well-being as food. And so, uh, one of the things I asked everyone last week was, as we head into summer, what is your strategy to be feeding off of God's Word? Do you have a strategy this summer to feed off of God's Word? And is that strategy something that's transferable? So, is what you're doing something that you can then walk with someone else so they too can learn how to feed off of God's Word? If you have something great, if you don't, I'm going to invite you to come on Wednesday night at 6.30. We're going to learn how to do Discovery Bible Experience together, the personal version. Everyone's going to get a booklet, and we're going to ask your congregation to go through, the, uh, go through Psalm 119 this summer, which is a, the longest psalm. It's also a very powerful psalm, so I encourage you to do that. Um, to prepare for where we're heading now, what we're going to do is we're going to do the prepare part of Discovery Bible Experience, essentially. So when we do Discovery Bible Experience, we stop and we pray before we move forward. And uh, we do a prayer of confession, and then we do a prayer just asking God to, to lead us and speak to us. So we're going to start that prayer of confession with this Scripture verse from the Amplified Version, and I'm going to ask you to read that. We're going to read that together, and then I'm going to have just a moment of silence. Just check your heart. Is there anything going on in you that you would like to confess to God before we go further, further, okay? So let's pray this, and then we'll have a time of silence. Search me thoroughly, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there is any wicked or hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. And now using Scripture, I'm going to ask you to simply pray with me uh, that God would speak to us as we head into the rest of this message from Psalm 119. Let's read it together. Open my eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instructions. 
Turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. You made me, you created me. Now give me the sense to follow your commands. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. The good news is we can promise that the Holy Spirit is going to use the Word and speak truth to us in this message. Um, before we head into where we're going to get, let's start with a, 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 a teaser quiz for you. What is the purpose of this? Anyone? Anyone know what this is and what its purpose is? Wow! Who, who said that? <laughs> Yes, it's a pineapple corer. Does everyone have a pineapple corer? You, some of you actually are nodding your head. This summer, this summer, when you do your Don Ho Luau, you're going to make sure, you're going to want to make sure you have a pineapple corer. All right, uh, what's this next one? Anyone? A chain whip. Who knew it? Raise your hand. Ah, right there, right there. A chain whip. A chain whip exists to help you get that back cassette, that back set of gears off your back wheel on your bike. You need a chain whip. Uh, what is this next one? An ice pick what? No? Yeah? Tongs? Yeah. Pick up what? Blocks of ice? Close. No. It is actually, Jerry? A, a car battery carrier. A car battery carrier. So, for example, when Jill changes the battery in our car, uh, she will use a car battery carrier. All right. Uh, how about this? What's this and what's its purpose? Aha. <laughs> we have been in a series called The Body where we are seeking to understand biblically why God gave us these things, these bodies. And we've talked about how these bodies that we have are us. Uh, these bodies have been made uh, in God's image. They have been made by love. God is love. They've made, been made by love. They exist to love, to love God and to love others. Now, what if these two bodies were to get what we call married? What would be its purpose. And if you're a note taker, grab a pen. There are pens in your seat pocket in front of you. Our, our question over the next many weeks is, what is the purpose of marriage? And how do our bodies relate to that? And if you're not married, by the way, have no fear. What we're going to talk about it, you're going to find actually, I think, very helpful uh, in all of your relationships. The reality is you also, whether you're married or not, you, you navigate a world filled with married people, and you have to make, uh, navigate a world uh, making ethical decisions in light of the fact that many people are married. And I think we will find it helpful to look at a biblical perspective of marriage and the body. And by the way, I want to give credit to where a, a good chunk of the thinking is coming from here. You think I'm really smart? I'm really not. Uh, a good chunk of the thinking comes from a book by Pastor Tim Keller called The Meaning of Marriage, which is one of the best books you will ever read about the purpose and meaning of marriage. I would encourage everyone to get it. Uh, pastor Tim Keller is a first-rate pastor and theologian. Keller notes, for example, historically, marriage has had uh, different purposes for centuries the, the purpose of marriage was social status, right? 
For most of humanity's existence, marriage was actually kind of a business deal. I'm going to give you my daughter so we can combine our empires and conquer that person's empire. And in this context, women were often seen, seen as chattel, as, as property to, uh, given to another to help climb the social ladder. Things have changed, of course. Today, we think of marriage often as romantic self-fulfillment, right? Marriage is seen as a vehicle to help me fulfill my romantic, sexual self-actualization, I will marry you so I can become the me I've always wanted to be. I marry you so my romantic sexual self-actualization can be realized. The problem with these two views of marriage is they are actually two sides of the same coin. Both are inherently self-centered rather than being other-centered. The Bible, however, without ignoring the responsibility of marriage to community and also without ignoring the romantic uh, sexual parts of marriage, puts the, mar puts the purpose of marriage in a different place. When God brought Adam Eve, He didn't bring Adam a status symbol or a fun date. <laughs> Not that Eve wasn't fun. Uh, he brought Adam a companion. Essentially, he brought Adam a friend. This is, we're going to build an argument over uh, the coming weeks about the purpose of marriage, and we need to start here. And we see this beautifully illustrated in the first book of the Bible. In the very first chapter of Genesis, as God was creating the world, he looked at, at all that he had made, and he said it was It was good, yeah. The Hebrew word for good there is the Hebrew word tov. Tov being the best kind of good. Seven times in the Genesis 1 creation account, God says His creation is the best kind of good. But when is the first time God says, ah, that's not good? We often think, well, that would obviously be after an Adam and Eve sin. That's not good. But it's actually not after that. It was before that. Genesis 2. God uh, says, it is not good, it is not tov, that the man should be alone. It's not the best kind of good that that person is all by themselves. Now, how in the world could Adam not be in a good condition when he was living in the best kind of good? I mean, he's there with God. He's there in the garden. There is no sin yet in this narrative. Keller believes a clue is given in Genesis 1, 26. Let us make man in our image. Who's the us? Well, Christian scholars today would say that the us is most likely the Godhead, what we call the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three in one, living in eternal, perpetual self-giving to one another. So you have this communal God, three in one, who, that has created out of that God's image. It would make sense that if that God created one out of that image, it would be, wait, time out, that's not good yet. It's not the best kind of good yet. The three in one decided they, that Adam 
like they live in a perpetual self-giving, Adam needed to be in relationship with another so that they could live in a perpetual self-giving. Thus, we could say that humans, whether you're married or not, humans are designed for relationship. Humans are designed for relationship. The best kind of good for humans is going to be relationship. And we can't escape the implication here. I mean, think about it. Essentially, in Genesis 2, we realize that God knows this relationship that Adam has with God is not enough. No, there had to be, there had to be a horizontal relationship for it to be the best kind of good. And so, God gives Adam an azer, an azer connecto, a strong helper, helper, a companion, a rescuer. And of course, when the man sees the woman, when the man sees the woman, he becomes the first poet. This is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And I love, you know, we're in this series called The Body. Adam's response is about the body. <laughs> God didn't send Adam, God didn't send the man to concept you know, it's not good you're alone. What I'm going to do is I'm going to send you a good concept to think about. <laughs> or I'm going to send you a good card. It's going to be a helpful card. You can put it on your refrigerator, Adam. No. And he didn't send, God, send Adam a Bible. He, 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 he sent him a person, didn't he? It's not good that you're alone. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you a, a, an azer, a helper, like I'm a helper. I'm going to send one who will be with you, who will be your companion, who will be your friend. Elsewhere in the Song of Songs, the female speaker, if you don't know the Song of Songs, it's beautiful. It's about a man and a woman in love, and the woman echoes Adam saying, this is my beloved. This is my friend. And in this most physically intimate friendship of marriage, Genesis 2 says the two the two flesh, the two bodies, become one body. The two become one flesh. So that being the case, let's talk about this. Let's answer this question. What is the character of friendship? So if marriage is a friendship, what, what's the character of friendship? The Bible, and particularly the book of Proverbs, spends a lot of time talking about friends and friendship. Keller notes one of the, the prime qualities of friendship is constancy. What does that word mean? It simply means constant. <laughs> a friend is constant. Proverbs 17, oh, uh, do you know what a fair-weather friend is? A fair-weather friend is a friend who's not really constant and not much of a friend, right? Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. True friends don't just love some of the time, they love all the time. True friends love in the tough times, they are constant. Another character of friendship, of course, is transparency, candor. True friends don't hide things from their friends. They're honest. Real friends encourage each other affectionately. They affirm one another. Proverbs 27, 9. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Would you ever want to be friends with someone who wasn't straight with you? 
I mean, that exists. You, you can do that for a while. But isn't it true the depth of a friendship really is dependent upon the depth of the transparency? Your closest friends are the ones that you are most able to be transparent with. There is no path to deep friendship without transparency and candor. Now, those two are pretty much no-brainers, right? Uh, Friends are constant. Uh, With a friend, you can be transparent. The third one, though, this is worth the price of admission, (laughs) all right? So hang with me here, wake up, hang on tight. The The third characteristic of friendship. Uh, There's not a great single word, but we're going to try. The right word would be sympathy, sympathos, a common passion. This means, and this is very important, that friends are discovered more than they are created at will. Go on a journey with me here. Friends arise, a friendship arises between people who discover that they have common passions, they have common interests. Now, two writers I'm going to highlight here, Ralph Waldo Emerson and C.S. Lewis, okay? Lewis, uh, they each wrote uh, essays about friendship. And uh, Lewis wrote about this, this common vision that would unite two people. Lewis insisted that the essence of friendship is this. Okay, so here's me, here's my, here's my, my new friend. What? what? You like, you like that too? <laughs> we can be friends because I have that, we have that common passion. Standing side by side, looking at the same object, being stirred, stirred and entranced by it. And Lewis speaks of a secret thread, you know, that, that, that runs through things that we like, movies, books, art, uh, pastimes, scenery, etc. When we meet another person who shares this thread with us, suddenly there's potential for a friendship if nurtured with transparency and constancy. And so Keller writes, friendship cannot be merely about itself. It must be about something else, something that both friends are committed to and passionate about besides one another. So Ralph Aldo Emerson, he said, he he writes, do you love me means do you see the same truth I see? Hmm. Or at least... Do you care about that same truth? The person who who sees, who cares about the same truth, that person can be our friend. That is why people who simply want to make friends, they really struggle. Because the very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides the friend. Hang with me. Where the truthful answer to the question is, do you see the same truth, would be, I don't care about the truth, I only want to be your friend. It's tough for friendship to arise. Friendship must be about something. And the gravity about which, the gravity of that thing, the density of it, is going to determine the depth of the friendship. For example, we have a church softball team. I didn't know if you knew that. We have a church softball team, all right? Softball's a great thing. I'm not on it. They wouldn't want me. They said, no, Pastor Brad, you can't be on it. (laughs) No, they didn't do that. Uh, 
So let's say you like softball, and you meet another person here at church who likes softball. Well, then clearly right now, you like softball? I like softball. Hey, we can be friends. You're a Republican? I'm a Democrat. But we like softball. (laughs) You like, oh, I like, uh, but we like softball. So we have this common thing we can do together. And, and a friendship can begin that way, but it's, it's hard to build a long-lasting friendship on softball, right? Or what if it's knitting? You like knitting? I like knitting, too. Oh, we can knit together. You're a Republican, I'm a Democrat. Oh, we can knit. <laughs> you know, it, it's still doable for, for a while, isn't it? Take it even deeper. I know we have a lot of veterans in the room. You are moving together, fighting to protect you and the people you love for freedom's sake. That is something out there. You have this common something, and you can see why people who fight together are in the service together, why decades later they are still friends, because the weight of that something is big that they were fighting. That's the thing that's binding that friendship in a big way. Let's go even deeper. Let's go to the deepest thing. You've been, you've been transformed by Christ. I've been transformed by Christ. You've received amazing grace. I, I've received amazing grace. You're walking toward the new creation. I'm walking toward the new creation. This is what Christian marriage has to be born from. This is why it's so important that a Christ one marry another Christ one because they're Christ ones. So in the church... We believe the Jesus thing is a big deal when it comes to marriage. Now, over the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at Ephesians 5. At the end of Ephesians 5, uh, Paul talks about marriage. I'm going to to read this text. It's Ephesians 5, 21 through 27. You can look it up if you want, or you can just listen to it. Um, I'm not going to unpack that this week. We're going to get there. But we're providing a foundation right now. As I read this text, I want you to hear how often the word Christ or Lord, or Savior is used, just, just even just Christ. So here's the text. Submit to one, or, one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as, wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water with through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. If we continue to read that section, it it actually is six times, six times when Paul is speaking on marriage, he focuses on Christ. Friendship and marriage, it has to be about something. In a Christian marriage, that something is Christ. So in the church, we would say Christian marriage is designed as a supernatural friendship. A softball friendship is a great friendship, but it's not very supernatural. 
Christian marriage is designed around that supernatural friendship. And that supernatural friendship has a supernatural bond, a common spiritual passion. A common spiritual passion. For believers in Christ, there is a spiritual binding. Because what brothers and sisters in Christ have experienced is the amazing grace of God. We have the most, the biggest thing in common. The one through whom, by whom, and for whom all things have been made, that is the thing we are building our marriage upon. Mm. How would we walk a journey like that? Well, we would do it through spiritual transparency. We would have transparency and candor in the likeness of Christ. That would be the goal. I know we're going we're to stumble and fall, but that's the goal. In a supernatural Christian friendship, we're called to confess our sins to each other because we love each other. Uh, a husband saying to a wife, honey, or a wife saying to a husband, honey, your off course is an act of love. And that type of transparency is absolutely necessary in every relationship, but to do so, to conform that transparency to the image of Christ is what makes that, uh, that transparency spiritual. Like a surgeon, true friends are willing to cut in order to heal. Proverbs 27.6 says, wounds from a, f- from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. And then lastly, supernatural friendship is sustained through spiritual constancy. Are you going to be constant, husband? Are you going to be constant, wife? What type of constancy are we talking about? I grew up, many of us grew up singing uh, the, uh, the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. <laughs> we could say, Great is Thy Constancy. In Christian marriage, our call and we stumble and we fall. We don't get it right. But our call is to be faithful in the way Christ is faithful. Christ's ones are called to, Galatians 6, to carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Husbands are called to carry the burdens of their wives. Wives are called to carry the burdens of their husbands. In sickness and in health, for richer or poorer, in this supernatural friendship, faithfulness, fueled by grace. That is the modus operandi. So, we can say this, Christian marriage is a supernatural friendship centered in passion for Christ, sustained by a common spiritual passion, transparency, and constancy. That's the good theology. Here's a very practical question. Husbands and wives, I want you to ask this of each other today. Not that question. (laughs) Go back to the last one. There you go. Here's a very practical question. Honey, are we still friends? If you're married, I want you to ask that question today. Are we still friends? And if so, what is that friendship about? In the beginning, it's easy to make it about the feelings It's easy to make it about the sexual intimacy, but you can't sustain decades of marriage that way. You can get to a point, often I'll I'll hear uh, husbands and wives say, well, our marriage, it's all about the kids. Well, just so you know, the kids are going to grow up and they're going to move away. And then what are you going to do? 
Well, we'll have grandkids, okay. <laughs> well, the grandkids are going to grow up and they're going to move away. You can't build a marriage on those things. If you try to do so, you will crush those things, Keller says. The only thing you will not crush when you try to build your marriage upon it or other friendships that you might have, the only thing you won't crush is Christ. Christ alone has the capacity to bear the weight of your most important relationships. Final question, what is God inviting you to do, change, or pray about this week? We ask this question in the Discovery Bible Experience. Is there anything, maybe just take one thing from this message. Is there something that God wants you to pray about or, or maybe you do need to change? I don't know what it is. I'm going to ask you to ponder that as we do Q&A. I'm going to invite Molly up. And we don't have a ton of time for Q&A, but we'll take some time because you don't have lunch ready yet. You're the first service. Uh, if you're visiting with us, you can write a question down on your Ask Pastor Brad card or and hand that up. Someone will come grab it. Or you can just text in a question like I told you. There it is. Okay. Maybe take one of those first two. <laughs>